I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Outside the Glass is brought to you by SquashProShop.com, our source for equipment for racquetball, badminton, paddle tennis, and of course squash. They carry a great selection of squash equipment from all the top manufacturers at the lowest prices. Rackets and shoes, balls and bags, goggles and grips, they've got it all, and they offer fast and free shipping on orders over $25. For the best selection, prices, and service on the internet, visit squashproshop.com. On the 5th of April, just a couple days from now, the squash portion of the Commonwealth Games will begin in Australia. And a number of players in the draws there are coached by David Pearson. And David is one of the uh, most interesting people to talk to when you're at a squash tournament, as I've seen for the past 20-odd years. He certainly is one of the most successful coaches uh, in pro squash history. So enjoy. I started playing. I improved quite quickly. I started late. By the time I was sort of 22, I was playing for England. And when, I owed, and how old were you when you started? 18. So really? within four what years, I was working for the, the Inland Revenue. <laughs> I left school at 16. I wasn't very bright, academically bright. So I went to work for a complaints department in a shoe company. And then we went wait, to wait, work. Wait, wait, <laughs> department in a shoe, shoe company. company. Tell me about that. So basically, I can remember the first day I went in. You know, I'm a young 16-year-old boy. And I've walked there, and basically it was when, you know, people's shoes, new shoes or older shoes, they thought that they shouldn't have broken, they used to send them back. Someone would make a judgment call on them and say, you can have another free pair of shoes or not. But the first day going in, and the boss guy comes up to me and says, oh, here's a thousand pieces of paper. So we didn't have computers in those days. He says, put them, <laughs> put them in numerical order. Like they're all jumbled up, it's not like so. I had to go through, you know, that one's 102, and that so it took me about two hours or something. I can't remember, it was a long time. And I remember thinking, Oh, god, for that, <laughs> there, he walked up to me, you know what I'm gonna say, and he gave me another thousand. <laughs> so that was my first day at work, and I'm thinking, Is this what work is, you know? And then obviously, I did a bit, but it was basically that type of stuff. Where, where, what? Where? In, in Kendall, in the Lake District in England. In Kendall? In Kendall. That's where you're from. That's where I'm from. Yeah. So I did that, and then I got a, I left that and got a job for the Inland Revenue, and your which was a little bit Kendall, better. Right? Even my mum's still alive in Kendall. My, my father passed away. Yeah. Um, so you moved off. And then I got to about, and then I started, they'd built two squash courts. My brother was already an international squash player, played for England. But I love cricket, hockey, table. I wasn't interested in squash. Brought up in Africa, never played. Yeah. Um, Where were you brought up? In Zambia, in Zimbabwe. So my youth, from the age of about probably eight months old, w- w- up to the age of 14, was in Africa. In Lusaka? In, 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 no, in, in a place Lusaka. called Mufalira, in the Copper Belt in Zambia. And I, then I went to boarding school in Bulawayo in yeah. Zimbabwe. Yeah. So that was my youth. And then I remember coming back to England, going from a private school. What was the school in Bulawayo? It was called Whitestones. In fact, that's where... Who's the Princeton coach now? Sean. Yeah, Sean had gone there. Yeah. Sean had gone there. Yeah, exactly. And um, I came back to England and I went into a secondary modern school mm-hmm. where it's like pretty rough. And totally And different. I taught... I had a, a, like a South African accent. Right. I got battered. Bullied from pillar to post. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I left when I was 16. Because you did two years there? I did, yeah, two years. And it was It was one. brutal. Like pe- and, and picking you, on you. And, and oh, wait, what year did you leave Zimbabwe? It would have been the early seventies, probably. 
So before seventy one, before, before, before Ian Smith before with UDI was well, still. Well, UDI had happened, but the, the war hadn't. Really but the war up. hadn't picked up, so we'd had an issue in, uh, in Zambia, Zambia yeah. with with my mom who was at work. She asked. She used to send us a paper every week. In the middle, there was a, pe- a speech of President Kawunda, who was the president of um, uh, Zambia, yeah, that's right. and she tore it up. It was only a supplement. That was like eight or something, or not, no, what was I older than that? Twelve or something. For, and she just put it in the bin because it was something I'm not going to be interested in. And the guy packing me, this is what it used to be like. The guy packing at the end ran, rang up the local political party. Twenty minutes later police cars, everything. My mum was arrested for defacing the president. And then my mum and dad had to go through a year's wow. basic trial, more or less. Um, unfortunately, the mayor of Mufalira was on my mum's side and he managed to get it kicked out when he went to the high court. But it took a year and then and things were going bad. So my mum mom and dad thought, we've got to go back. We're going to go back. So, back they were so we came back with my brother and oh, okay. I. Then I went How to school. How many years were you in Bulawayo? I would be at school probably four years, yeah. on and off, because we were living in Zambia, so you'd do 13 weeks at school, back for maybe a few weeks and yeah, yeah. that type of stuff. Came back to England, then what I started... a huge culture shock to come back. Oh, it was a huge culture shock. But in later life, I'm so glad that I was brought up in Africa, because it didn't quite make me totally English, if that makes some sense. So do you, do you feel a little bit now that you're not totally English? Even, Even now. now? I mean, I'm very proud to be English. Not, not like but, patriotically. I'm talking but, like. Um, oh, in my mind. Yeah, in your mind, you kind of go. I, I'm not like no, that. I'm not like that. So you know, I would come back and I listen to conversations now about you know maybe, um, you know, it's like anything. I mean, like something like apartheid was mm. brutal. That's right. Um, but you know, no, we're not so much apartheid. But you like, you know, you have the tribes in in Africa. If you're from that tribe and that tribe, they end up doing and whereas you come to England and people didn't understand that I know it's a very simple thing but so I had this view of it being so I've always traveled in my life a bit like that always listening to both sides and trying to make a view of things so I've been very much like that um, Interesting. and uh, and I think that's not made me totally an English individual and then obviously with the squash traveling around the world right. you can you, you see many same, different cultures same, same and, thing. and yeah. same thing Interesting. But I started playing squash at eighteen in in, in Kendall. In Kendall. And within, there was a little club. There were two courts. They built two courts. I started having coaching with a guy called Clive Francis, who used to coach Philip Kenyon, a name from the past. And I improved really quickly. My dad, my dad was a great character. He just said one day, he says, David, he says, I've arranged for you to go to Sheffield and just pack your job in tomorrow. Like that. In revenue. He says, uh, I've got we've got some friends, uh, Ken Scott and Mary Scott. And Malcolm Woolstrops says that he'll coach you for six, for, 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 if you want. So I thought, oh, great. So the next day I went to him, handed my notice in. I went to Sheffield, lived with his family, had coaching with Malcolm Woolstrop for probably about seven months. And then Malcolm was going to Cayman Islands. And my brother had come back from Canada because he was living in Canada, in Winnipeg of all places. But he came back. And I went that summer to play. And I was playing him every day. And my dad was manager of a squash club, and at first it'd be like a nine score, nine one, nine two, nine one, and it, it was this. This is the biggest improvement I've I ever had in anything in a way. Um, within five months, I was losing to him three two, and I had a ranking of maybe fourteen England at after the end of years. after maybe three oh, years. Yeah. 
and Johnny Leslie and Peter Fett and these guys were playing in the world teams and I went from being four and my first ever English ranking I ever had was number nine from nowhere to from nine from nowhere to nine so that was a so people were like who the hell who's yeah, this guy, this guy. Yeah. so basically that happened but then I, I got married very young uh, to get onto the coaching bit mm-hmm. so I got married hard to make a living I could make a living but with marriage and had children so what I did I, I became the pro at Chapel Allerton Squash Club in Leeds and they would let me just play as much squash as so I liked how did you get hired were you oh the hired? chairman the chairman of the club got in his Mercedes car came over to see me because I played for them in, in the league but never worked there and he said you know we're trying to do this with the club do you fancy do, doing X and I thought oh that'd be a good retainer behind that I can do a little bit of coaching but it gives me time still and money to play, to play. Mm. So I started doing that and I started coaching. So every day I probably maybe do, unless I was playing, you know, the weekends and all that, maybe two, two and a half hours a day coaching. So I started off and as soon as I started coaching, I found I had a knack for it. Mm. What do you mean? Like, like a vocation. So it was never, in all my life, I've never been on a coaching course ever. Apart from when I've been told I had to do one because I had to look if the national coach didn't have the level four coaching course, I would, you know, so I've never been on a coaching course in my life to gain a qualification. So while I was coaching, I was learning and I started, then I met a young kid at the age of 11 um, as I was coming to the end of my playing career, Simon Park. So basically I coached Simon Park from the age of 11 really heavily until the age of about 24. And at the age of 18, Sam Park was number one in England, senior, not junior. So I was getting this reputation for coaching some quite good players. Um, but at I think Chapel A? At, at Chapel Allerton, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I moved to Harrogate later on. But when I was coaching when I was young, I was able to experiment. Because I had all this stuff I was playing and what have you, I could get in core and I could try that for a few months. Oh, that's not working very well. And Oh, well, that isn't. So I was able to sort of have this early part of my coaching career experimenting and spending time on court and understanding communication with a pupil and then when I got to 30 I stopped playing um, and that's when I went straight away afterwards I thought well I'm just going to become a coach I was about 29 actually 28 so I started coaching full time so all the <clears throat> all the kids from all around Yorkshire and what have you wanted to come for coaching so I was coaching like seven hours a day learning my trade you know, as where you find a lot of coaches now don't learn their trade. Mm. So a bit like the old apprentice thing. Mm-hmm. I was learning my trade. How <clears throat> so? Like, what would you... Have? Just by spending so many hours on court, seeing people do things, seeing people come through doing those things. And I was always naturally be able to, uh, to spot an issue and know how to fix it. Whereas what you find with a lot of coaches, they can spot something, but they don't know how to fix it. Mm. Uh, the skill I had. Part, part be like they don't know how to fix it because they don't know how to communicate to the yeah. child. Not the technical thing. Or it could, even could be that. So if you had a technical thing, so say something was happening there, yeah. for instance, mm. technically it might have to be sorted out here mm. instead of where you think the final point is. <coughs> so all that was coming through, and then I was starting to get to, to be able to get into people's heads, and I, and I have no idea why. As I say, I was never taught or anything, so I just carried on coaching. Things started getting better and better and better. Um, and then the national coach's job came up part-time when I was 35 years of age. And I can remember saying to myself, I'm ready for this now. Whereas before that, I wasn't ready for it. And I applied for it, and I'm, fortunately, I got it. I became part-time national coach. 
Uh, and then after two years, all the lottery money came in. Then, uh, and, well, it's history. And then I did 15 years of, you know, well, f 13 years yeah. of, of a full-time national coach. But I think the thing is for me, I don't know if I'm going off a bit here, what I've worked out for me, and I have no idea how, because I've never been trained, I've been very fortunate to coach people first mm. and squash is second. Whereas what most coaches have, yeah, they coach results. squash first and people second. So basically I've become a psychologist. And I was fortunate to have the skills with the squash that would fit in. You know, Nick, and that's what Nick said once, he quoted somewhere, and I thought that was quite a good way of looking at it. Um, so, so basically my whole coaching life has been as a psychologist, really. Oh. Yeah. I, I think. 95% you know, Especially uh, at the highest level, right? Yeah. And I, had, and I was able, for some reason, through my personality, I think what it is, it, I've always been able to have a sense of humour. It's never been too serious. I've always known how to wind someone up to get the best out of them most of the time without upsetting them too much. So you're praying, you're not praying, you're working on these things to make them better squash players. So when um, you were young, doing that, you were making mistakes, right? Making so mistakes. So tell me about that. Like, tell me some mistakes you've made. Um, like, what? Do you, how did you learn the psychology of... I'd know? learned it through club players to start with. Mm. So I was coaching a lot of club players. And so what? What I, I wouldn't say I made mistakes with the club players, but I was honing my ability. So I was able to, you know, John Alderson, a guy I can remember, we'd have four lessons a week. And, we, and I'd be experimenting with him. You know, and I go, oh, that's working well for him. Oh, that's a bit. And so I was just doing this all the time. I was never upsetting anybody. So I started to gather information in my own brain that was working. Mm. Uh, so I knew, especially with Simon Park early on, we'd be trying this, and it was all just working. And you're thinking, my God, this kid's unbelievable. Right, I mean, it was. And it was part of the information that was going, was going on with, with him as well, through his parents and coaching and what have you. And I just seemed to gather that more and more. And then I'll tell you what I did learn from an elite coach, and unfortunately he took the brunt of it all, although we're the bestest of friends. The person that probably got the brunt of the worst of me, and the best of me, was PJ. So with PJ, when he first came for coaching, early on it was really exciting. And then when he hit a plateau where he was starting to struggle a bit, <clears throat> I got a little bit... Um, I'd be, I got a little bit heavy on him mm. and, and I learned a lot from that. So when I was going on to the next project or people while I was, I, and what I noticed with Paul, I got, I got too, not too close is the wrong word, we became so good, such good friends mm. that I was looking upon him as a son mm. rather than a really good friend and a pupil. A pupil. Um, and then all the other people I've coached, I've coached them and I'm their best friends and I've always I've not got one player that I'm not friendly with to this day. Even if you're not working with them. Even if we're not working, so like Pete Nichol, extremely you know, Cassie Jackman, when you look, you know, Tony Hans, someone from the way from the past, and obviously Nick and Jenny and Laura and you know, all the people you've you've coached. Um we have had such a fantastic relationship. And I've always wondered why that none of those have ever broken down. Yeah. Why? I think because they know that I care about them. Not about the result. Not about the result. So you know, when Laura, for instance, lost badly in the British Open when she wasn't very well afterwards, she was like distraught. And I just said, Laura, I said, it doesn't matter. It's only a game of squash. You know, it doesn't matter. We've got what you call it coming up in two weeks. Forget about 
the, the British Open, you know, and 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 we've got so that's where you want to do well in. So just put that put that to a bad day. So they start to realise it's not all about winning. You there, you care for them as a person. But and how do you like divide the? How do you create the space to to have them trust you, and <clears throat> and yet, you know, like asking them questions. So if they come on court, I always remember Pete Nickel. We did a, a big talk about it. It's having the skill to go through the journey from beginning to the end. And in the early years, the coach is more, um, that's what you do. That's what we do. And then, well, what do you think, Nick? And he'll go, oh, well, I think, Matt, should we do that together? I think I'm still, this bit needs to be maybe pushed. To you. But, and then it's this thing, like a river all the way through. So, so you, 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 the whole journey changes through the personality. As they get older, they get more, obviously, knowledgeable. So the coach needs, know, needs to know when to back away and let that blossom and come in with the right things. And that, that's how I've sort of got going with the relationship. So within two or three weeks, you've normally got them. Because you start in, well, you know, what do you think? Not, well, you need to change your grip. You the need God to grip. on high. The God so on high is said. This is, so it'd be like, well, you know, when you go to a little kid, so you get them as kids, you go, what do you think? And most kids like look at you and think, oh my God, he's asked me what I thought. Whereas when they go to school, it's like, and so what you do is say, what do you think? And then you go like, then you think, well, maybe we should try and work on this. Maybe a little bit off. And you develop the personal relationship. So when you come into the big hitting things, like that story about Laura with the grip, which is, it, they don't, so even Laura at two in the world never quit. Well, Laura came on court, she got to two in the world. She hadn't won the British Open at that time or anything, or the World Championships or got, got to one. She came on court, we are doing a session, and she just said to me, so that, you know, I think she was two, three in the world. She says, DP, you know, things are going, going really well. Is there anything else that we really need to work on? So I looked at her and I thought, right, because Laura can take it. You know, the people, you have to be a little bit... And that, that's the other thing. Delivering information, you have to know how to deliver it in different ways to different people. At different times. So Laura, you can, Laura loves it actually just being... So I went to her, I just looked her in the eye. I said, Laura, I said, you grip shit. I said, you need to change your grip. If you change your grip from that to that, that will enable you to do that, 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 and that. And that will enable you to become a British Open champion, a world champion, and hopefully, at the time we thought, well, world number one might be too far away because of Nicole. But as it turned out, she did get a small period at it. Um, and that's what will happen if you change your grip. And she looked me in the eye, and I'm thinking, hey, she's going to come. What I'm doing? And she literally, I knew all we're talking about. Uh, so she used to hold it here. And she, when she used to come in, she used to lead with a wrist. Yeah. So she couldn't take it out there. But, you know, when you lead. So basically, we did, all we did was say, right, you've got to move your grip literally one centimetre round. And she looked at me and said, okay, I'll do it. And she did it from that day on. The point of that story is because she trusted me so much because of other stuff that had gone on, she never questioned it. And so that made my job so easy. And then when she did win the British Open and the Worlds, or won, it was like she'd look back and think, bloody LDP, you were right. You, you know, you, I should have done it earlier. <laughs> you should have done that earlier. But that's, that's a journey. Yeah. So when you watch, it's funny when you watch tournaments, people come through at different times. So you see a Goar at 18 looking brilliant. Is that going to happen at 27? Yeah. Maybe not. But Laura's come through it. At 27. 28, 20. Yeah. So that these different journeys. And I, I think for me, that's probably been the biggest thing is this psychological stuff. Yeah. 
And, and, and the thing is, I've never known how I've been able to do it. Because I've never been on courses or... And I was very anti-establishment it, it, when I was young coaching. So I was against everything that the Squash Rackets Association did. I wouldn't go on their coaching courses deliberately because I would not... That information, to me, was not good enough. So I'm not just going to belittle myself to get a, a level three coaching course. And then when I became national coach, to get more, I totally and utterly destroyed and dismantled that's that, and, and people hated me for it. I mean, I'm not I'm like the old, hated me. And what's quite interesting, 15 years later, the current system now, since I left, they dismantled everything that I'd done. So they now, they're doing virtually everything totally the opposite from what I did. So it was like, in a way, I it was like, I understand why now, I mean, they were a bit pissed off. But when you're young, you get on your high horse a bit, don't you? Yeah. <clears throat> but you, uh, you haven't read books that inspire I, I don't, you, no, no, psychology? I, nothing. I've never read a psychology book Listen in my life. I, I have learned because when I became national coach, we had enough money to employ our own full-time psychologist, strength and conditioning coach, analysis, Stafford Murray, has just written a book. You should look at it. I have it. it. Right. He's just, that, that book is a Bible, apart from the coaching techniques. Yeah. It's a Bible of what I did and Stafford and Paul Carter. That's a Bible of those years or information of those years. And um, uh, what was the point I was making? About, yeah. So I, 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 I must have learned things off when I was talking to Kirsten casually. Or, you know, you take information in without right. realising it. So I think all the information I've gathered has been all through casual conversations. Yeah. Not sitting in a classroom saying, right. this is a skull. And I think that's what I've gathered. So I've never been to a, a, conference. a, a conference. Well, I've been to a coaching conference, but not just for squash. Not, never been yeah. to any of those things. So do you think it's because you're just uh, a really good listener, uh, absorbing information? I think so, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to technique. Mm. So I'll spot something so similar that people think, how the hell did you, did you see that? And I think it's just a bit geek, if that's the right word. It, it, it's something that has just been within me. And I think because I played so many other sports, so I played a lot of field hockey, table tennis, cricket, and I played them to, without bra to a really good standard. Yeah. So I think what's happened is, I think all that stuff has always has filtered into my squash. And because I started late, yeah. I had to learn in a different way than lots of you other people. As, a, as an adult, almost. as an adult, whereas you know, you look at the young kids now; they're more or less it's more like paint by numbers. Whereas when I played, it was like you sink or swim. You better sort it out yourself. You didn't have really have the same type of help. And and I, I just I always wonder how it happened. How it happened? The, the, well, the success maybe as a, as a an elite squash coach. And and it's funny because you leave a mark. I saw. Little things like that make you feel really happy. I was up, up at um, Philadelphia Cricket Club, and I was sitting there, and I saw, and there's a little girl called Margaret Elias who used to come to England when she was like 17, 16 for coaching, and I saw, her, and she's probably in the mid 30s now. And there was, and she came up to me. It was like she hadn't seen me for 20 years, virtually, but it was like she was so pleased to see me and then she'd tell the stories of even at 35 she can remember the stories that happened in Harrogate when I tried to change her grip she said can you remember DP you tried to and I fell in the back of the court crying my eyes out because my game was so bad <laughs> but yeah, yeah and it's those relationships you keep yeah. not just with elite players right. 
Well, it, it, you in know. the end, it's the friendships of this community are so rich and, it, and, and all over the world for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Deeply. Deeply. And, and you, you've worked you, with players from, you know, dozens of countries. You know, over the years, when I look back now, you know, you know sometimes Stafford will, because he's a bit, he's a, like really into, he's quite anal about things, and he'll, you know, he, he'll put everything down like a CV or something, because sometimes I need to see. And I'll read the CV, and without, I'm not being big headed or arrogant, and I'm thinking, flipping heck. I can't remember half of that. Stuff that you did in the early nineties or there, 80s. or you know, and you've had this this relationship with these players. Right. And I think now at fifty eight, I, I I can't go through bringing up a little one anymore through. But I still think I've got something to offer to, to players that are quite good anyway. Mm. You don't want to take on a, a not year old not really not now. I've, my energy is at fifty eight because it takes a lot of mental on-core energy, on core energy, yeah. and psychological energy yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. but it's but, and I think the other thing for me as well which has been quite interesting when I was a player I was a bit of a like a fancy player like a shot player you know tricky and, and it's quite interesting apart from Cassie Jackman I coached Peter Nickel a lot or Neil Harvey did a lot with him as well but I had a heavy heavy influence on Peter Nick and Laura what I found quite interesting, if you take Cassie away, because she was quite gifted, the people that haven't been the most gifted the, with the my who... style that was yeah. gifted have become the best players. Right. Which is really, it's the, I'm just, you know, and they've, they've got everything out of themselves. And yet more. most people would view me as being a bit arty-farty and a bit, you know, a bit like that. And yet the best players I've coached are not the technically not the talented not necessarily the talented ones and I think that proves that technique is the key to so much whereas I think in the modern modern squash game now technique has been basically ignored in in the modern game what's replacing it fitness strength run like mad hack out the ball get get there you know I mean the Egyptians are good squash players it's not because they're super duper fit most of them anyway, it's because they, I mean, they are fit, but they're not Nick Matthew fit. But why are they good? Because they can play the game. Tactically, they're good. Tactically, they're very good, even yeah. with technique that might be, and they're just very, very good. Whereas the, the rest of the world's gone so far behind how to get squash players through. And, and unfortunately, we'll be tidy because Egyptian, they could have 10 in the top 10 before long, right. if you're not careful. So, so, what, be, so what, are you, what are you saying in terms of like, Technique that the, 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 the governing bodies or the coaches, yeah. it's not just the governing bodies, they need to get their act together on, on, <clears> on, on technique. Because if they don't, well, they haven't done for 15 years now, a yeah. lot of them, where are we? In the Western society. Yeah. You look at America, I know it's building yeah. it, America, or whole of Europe, England now, no players. Yeah, Why? Australia. One, they're soft and the technique's crap. You know, you look at someone like Alan Klein, who wouldn't make, I mean, you know, someone like Alan, who's got, he's very fast, very strong, but he gets to 30 in the world. Why can't he get any better? Yeah. It's nothing to do with that. It's because his technique is average. Yeah. So that, so that's need, been we need, my... We need more DPs. Well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm probably, and I've always been a bit of a maverick. Yeah. So like working for a governing body all those years or... They would have, I actually think they would have loved to have got rid of me <laughs> after maybe eight years of national coach, but they couldn't. One, employment law, 
but two, we were winning everything virtually. They were doing too well. So, and they couldn't, they used to hate it because they couldn't control me. Mm. And I don't mean in a horrible way. So like, you haven't got your expenses in on time. Oh, bloody hell, what do you want your expenses in on time? Or a world-class squash player, being a bit silly. And then after years of that type of thing with me, the fifth, they thought, right, no more. <laughs> no more of that. <laughs> that type of thing. So I was always a bit of a maverick, different, you know, and I think if you're going to be successful at any coaching, you've got, people have either got to love you or hate you. You can't be in the grey. So Malcolm Wilstrop, who's had a tremendously successful career, coaching in a very different way than a lot of coaches, he's in that category very much, isn't he, with Malcolm? That's right. Love, hate. That's right. And I think great you... coaches have that type of, you know, aura about right. them. That they, they're idiosyncratic or they're, yeah. they're, they're unique. Yes. They don't that, follow the They herd. don't follow the, the rules yeah. to some point. Right. And well, and maybe it's because they passionately believe. It's not an ego thing, but they passionately believe in what they're doing and yeah. how they're doing it. But that's right. And, and I think also with coaching, you know, I've got a style. So people tend to say, oh, that's a David Pearson style, Rodney Martin style. You know, Rodney doesn't work with Lee apart from Ryan now, but Rodney, Malcolm. And, and what it is... So what's you, your style? My style is the technical styles. I'm t- you know, it's yeah. like lots of spacing, um, rack it away a little bit, a lot of extension in the follow-through, transfer of weight, trying to think of, you know, the, taking the ball out in front. Th- that's very much my style. And people will notice who coaches... That style, yeah. and 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 I think you've got to stick to the style you coach without maybe ramming it down their throat, yeah. but you've got to have a style. You can't be a coach and what was the word uh, an all, yeah. you know, encompassing thing. And I've known where I'm at, so I, I'm, 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 the things I'm talking about now are maybe the best parts of me. I know I'm not a very good planner. I know I'm not great at organising. So when Paul Carter and I were a partnership. People were so surprised that I picked him to be my partner in crime. And the reason I picked him... He was organised. Not organised. Yeah. I was the arty-farty type. Yeah. He, he was he the was fitness groover yeah. and organised yeah. and motivated everybody. So those styles for eight years, it was brilliant. So I knew that's what I wasn't very good at. And I wasn't afraid to go, that's not me. Right. Let that person do that. Let... So we knitted the styles. And I think that's really important. Know your weaknesses and then know your strengths. And don't be afraid to just, you know, don't be their male alpha dog. It's like just, you know, good. At, I'm not very good at it. He's great. We can do it together or something. Or she's great or whatever. Yeah. So I think it's very much collaborative. Collaborative. Have an open mind. You know, I think one of the other things is, as well. You've been coaching. Like you have to move on with the game. You know, if you think I probably had three decades, maybe. You know. Peter Nichol decade, for instance, they don't play like he does today. So I was coaching in that decade, and you had PJ's decade and Simon Park and all those guys, and then you had Pete Nichol and Lee Beachel and Nick was young then in that decade. And they all, and as a coach, you have to make sure you move on and you don't think that you're just this old-fashioned coach. I think that's important. Don't look through it with rosy-coloured spectacles. Yeah. You know, it's better in our day. How often do you hear that? You know, and... and, and <clears throat> these modern players today is give them credit for playing in a modern way not oh, all they do is run and hit the ball that's how it is now mm. so don't give them credit because it's very exciting mm. it's exciting you know so or entertaining so that's sort of been that's sort of me in a bit of a 
you know, nutshell, I suppose. If you want to know what I what my thing is, yeah, that's you it. know, and I've always and I think oh one more thing I think the other thing is I was always a good player, <clears throat> but I never quite made it to the very top. So you know, I played for England thirty eight times and probably you know had odd results against top ten players, but I'd been maybe like a twenty in the world player, sixteen in the world type player, and I think because I would never had the motivation. That's what surprised me as well, to go any further. Mm. And it was a deliberate not wanting to go any further. Mm. But when it's come to coaching, I've been like a dog with a bone. Yeah. Why? And that's why I don't know why. Because you want to be number because one. Because I, I want to be number one. But I could never Are we ready? It's about time. I could never do it through playing. If you become number one, you wouldn't be the coach you are. No, that's right. So being number one was about coaching, not the playing bit. And, 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 and to be fair, it's been quite, I was quite dogmatic of trying to be, well, not number one, but get the players up to that level. Yeah. Because, quite you, interesting. because you didn't. Because I did, never did. And the mistakes I made, you notice, don't let them make it. So that's enough for you. That's enough. Outside the Glass, we'd like to thank squashproshop.com, as well as Chris McClintock, Laurel Holly, and most of all, Grant Irving for helping put together today's episode. Next month, we have a very, very special uh, episode. We'll see you in a month. Thanks.